White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly. It is the final White Sox Weekly of the month of October. We got one more in us as the World Series comes to an end in the next couple of days. And then, and then, and then the offseason really truly begins for the White Sox. A lot of decisions to make this offseason a team to create for 2022. The big pieces are there, obviously, but the White Sox are looking to play uh, late. I'm, I'm hoping next year that these uh, White Sox weekly shows, you know, in October, they're a lot more occupied on games that just happened perhaps the night before than they are about future plans. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You can hit us up on Twitter as well. I'm at C1 McKnight. You always want to be following uh, the ESPN White Sox Twitter handle. We keep you updated with what's going on around the ballpark all season long, and all of our off-season stuff gets posted there on Twitter, too. At ESPN White Sox is the Twitter handle. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Tyler Aki, our producer this morning. Uh, fun guest for you coming up later on in the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Spoke with Chris Getz, White Sox Assistant General Manager and Director of Player Development. Uh, And I I wanted to focus specifically with Chris about the Arizona Fall League and the White Sox prospects that are down there. Guys like Yoelki Cespedes, Jose Rodriguez, and Yolbert Sanchez are all on the Glendale Desert Dogs. That's right. The Glendale Desert Dogs in the Arizona Fall League. That's the team the White Sox send their prospects to. Uh, kind of get an update on the state of the system, what we saw, what we didn't see, what we liked, what we didn't like from the White Sox minor league system this year. I feel like before the offseason really gets cooking is the time to talk to the front office about that, or at least uh, that's what they've told me. They like talking about this time as opposed to later on when they're looking to change around a team. So Chris Getz is coming up at 940. We'll talk with him about some of those White Sox minor leaguers who could could be making some sort of impact for the White Sox in 2022. Uh, A couple of news notes I want to deal with. um, The World Series as well. Saw a good one last night. Braves over the Astros. 2-0 the final. Astros got two hits against the Braves. Ian Anderson was terrific. He went five innings last night. I don't know how many White Sox fans are watching the World Series. I'm actually kind of interested to know. Let me know if you are watching the World Series, calling in about the White Sox with a question today. I, I'm curious because obviously it's the Astros, uh, the, the first-round opponent for the White Sox and the team that beat us. Uh, but at, at this point, I think we're seeing a fairly interesting, at least I think we're seeing a fairly interesting World Series. And last night after Ian Anderson leaves the game, five innings and no-hit baseball, I kind of thought to myself, man, it feels, I get it. I understand that quick pitching changes in the playoffs are where we're at now and how these bullpens are set up. But you think about the White Sox starting pitching for almost the entire season and just what they weren't able to do against the Astros in the first round of the series, thinking how differently things might have gone uh, had they pitched just a little bit better, certainly with the first guy out. As we go over the next couple of weeks, there are a couple of deadlines that are coming up in the next few days, next few weeks, 
that I think kind of are going to dictate where we're headed with the show. First and foremost, and as always, you program the show. 312-332-3776. You want to kick off a topic here? You want to talk a little White Sox? We get to Dan and Barrington in just a second. Uh, this show is is yours. But I do want to focus on a couple of off-season items here and some things that you may or may not know uh, procedurally. After the World Series ends, whenever that is, teams have five days to essentially set their own house in order. Pending free agents, guys like Carlos Rodon, or options that clubs have on the table or that players have, like Craig Kimbrell's option or Cesar Hernandez's option, all of those need to be executed, decided on, in the five days after the World Series has ended. So, to that end, as we look around at different positions for the White Sox, taking a look at where things were last year and how things will move forward in 2022, I'm going to shuffle the usual order, the order that I had had over the last couple of seasons here, about where we're focusing on the White Sox. Because there are big issues, you know, it's second base, like I said, with Hernandez's option, Carlos Rodon and the starting rotation, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to wait to handle those positions in totality, you know, with some guests and some interviews, some deep dive research, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to wait for those until we have some of those decisions from the White Sox, because I think we'll have a better conversation then. So I'm going to focus a little bit on first base today, because there aren't the kind of big decisions uh, that are going to be that are pending for the White Sox there, but there are. I think some interesting developments at that spot for the White Sox in 2022. So that's kind of where we're headed up until the point where we talk to Chris Getz at 940. If you want to secure a spot at Guaranteed Rate Field next season, you want to do it with the 2022 ticket package. Catch the biggest matchups and enjoy 2022 postseason opportunities, flexible payment plans, and more. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000. Or visit whitesocks.com. Got a couple other things I want to handle before we uh, get to into the first base situation. But out to the phone lines we go to begin White Sox Weekly this Saturday morning. Kind of a gloomy, rainy sort of thing. And it was that way in, uh, in Atlanta last night. Kind of gloomy, misty, rainy, like 49 degrees. I caught Shulman on ESPN 1000. He was doing the play-by-play with Jess Mendoza. And I want to say it was Eduardo Perez. Yeah, it was Eduardo Perez. They were talking about how cold and kind of gross it was down there. Still had a you know pretty decent ball game if you like 2 nothing shutouts. It's, I think, colder there than it is here. It felt that way. It looked that way. I had a buddy down in South Carolina. He said it was 35 degrees the other day. Well, South, 35 in South yeah. Carolina? Uh-huh. My word. I lived in Myrtle Beach for like a whole offseason, you know, working for a minor league team mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. Never. I mean, it was in the summer, but I don't think anybody had even heard of 35. I know no one down there could spell 35, so that was... <laughs> That's probably unfair. I live there, though, so I can say it, I think. In Barrington, it's Dan. Dan, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I wanted to talk about if they're going to make a deep run next year. Mm-hmm. And it's fine to talk about how amazing Dylan Cease is, you know, in the regular season and, you know, with Giolito saying he's the best, uh, has the best stuff in the league. Stuff doesn't matter when you go out and do what he did in the playoffs. So until this team uh, proves it, uh, with this pitching staff, Lance Lynn's going to be a year older. Keuchel is finished. And, Connor, there, there seems to be a common wisdom around this team. Oh, we'll just throw Michael Kopech in. Michael Kopech has thrown all of 80 innings in five years. You think he's going to be a 200-inning horse, number one starter? This team needs to go out and pay for a proven number one starter because hmm. we throw flowers at the feet of Lucas Giolito. He was okay last year. 
And one other thing, people talk about there's going to be multiple uh, MVPs for Eloy. This has been pointed out by multiple Sox writers. After his first 10 games back, he was horrific last year. We don't have a second baseman, and we don't have a right fielder. So I know you're already, you know, you're planning the parade route, but this team has a lot of problems. So thanks, and uh, I'd love to hear you defend, uh, you know, defend all of it. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Dan. I don't, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not on the defend, I'm not on the bench here, right? I Nobody's planning parades or throwing laurels. There's a lot of work to do for every baseball team that goes into the next season. I mean, whether the Astros or Braves win the World Series, they're going to have a bunch of work to do. The Braves had to trade for four different outfielders that are playing now than the guys that they want to have playing in their outfield start of 2022. Isn't Freddie Freeman on the market? Freddie Freeman's this, on this the market. Winter and Carlos Correa on the market this winter. Every Like you said, everyone's got some time to get their house in order. Everybody's going to have to make some changes. Now, to your to that point about the starting pitching. And I like I said, I, I obviously, Dan, I'm gonna, I am will answer the question. We'll talk about it here because you called, and I appreciate you calling uh even if it's an angry saturday morning for you i i want to get into the starting pitching probably in two weeks i think the 13th is when we're going to do our deep dive on starting pitching and like i said at the start of the show the reason for that isn't because i i don't want to handle it here it's because i think you and i are going to have a better show on the 13th of november because we'll know with a little bit more clarity what's going to happen with carlos rodon and the decisions the white Sox have made there like i said End of the World Series, five days from then, that's the White Sox window, that's every team's window, to handle their own players. So, Dan, and everybody else really, come back in on the 13th, we're going to talk a lot about the starting pitching. We're going to talk a lot about the staff. Now, Dylan Cease was very good last season. And while his postseason start wasn't good, he did go through the first inning real clean and looked sharp. Had a long wait coming back out for the second, and then the strike zone absolutely evaporated on him. That happened actually to a couple of White Sox starters in the postseason, and it wasn't necessarily in the second, but they were short outings for both Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito. I shouldn't say both when it's three things, but also Dylan Cease. They had to pitch better in order to beat the Astros. There's, there's no doubt about it. Ask them. They said it. They needed to pitch better, especially with their starters, to beat the Houston Astros. You're seeing some of that against the Braves right now, in fact. Now, as to Michael Kopech, we actually talked about this with Vinny Duber last week. And if you want to download the show, you can. ESPN Chicago is the name of the app. Just download it. And all of our White Sox weekly episodes are consumable at your fingertips. Just go to the ESPN Chicago app and check it out. Michael Kopech's innings do have to be watched. But two things can be true, right? I feel like it is absolutely time, and I know a lot of people do, and I think some of them are in the White Sox front office, it is absolutely time for Michael Kopech to become a starting pitcher in this league. No horses go 200 innings anymore. I mean, shoot, this is going to be the first time, I was reading this the other day, and I want to make sure I've got it quoted right, or at least I'm going to try the best I can. This will be the first time in American League history that no one has thrown, that, that Cy Young candidates will not have thrown 200 innings. Nobody. So we need to redefine what our, what, our, what our horses actually do in this game. That doesn't have to be fun for you. You don't have to like that about baseball right now. I get it. I, you know, I'm from the days where you see a guy like Rory Halliday or, or Oswald or, you know, guys take it deep. Guys go 200, 250 innings. Mark Burley going deep. Deep in seasons and getting inning totals well over 200 or at least, you know, 
above 200. Now, if you want to make the case that the White Sox should go out and sign Robbie Ray after the Blue Jays put a qualifying offer on him, I get that. More starting pitching is good. No contender, and I said this leading up to the trade deadline too, no contender has ever looked at itself and said, you know what? We're good on pitching. We got enough arms. We're set. Thank you so much. Everybody adds arms. And adding innings to that starting rotation could well be a good thing. You know, I think a rotation where Dylan Cease is your five and you've added a premier arm from somewhere else in the offseason, whether, you know, like I said, Robbie Ray just picked up the first guy off the top or, or elsewhere, that's absolutely fine by me if you want to go do that. It's going to take away from your ability to compete at other positions, I mean financially, because Robbie Ray is going to cost a pretty penny, I think. But it is time, I think, for Michael Kopech to be in that starting rotation. How many innings he handles, that's a difficult question to answer. And the reason Michael Kopech hasn't had the innings numbers uh, that everyone had hoped isn't really his fault. And it's not the White Sox fault either. There was Tommy John, which happens, and then a pandemic, which hopefully never happens again. (laughs) but also affected the plans of a lot of different pitchers throughout. You can't fault Mike, Michael Kopech for taking 2020 and saying, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good on baseball. I don't think you can file, uh, fault anybody for making a decision like that. You shouldn't. But that's where things were, and he wasn't able to pitch. You move him into rotation next year. I think he was a lot better last season. It's just kind of anecdotally, but I think he was a lot better last season when he was featuring three pitches, sometimes a change, sometimes that curve. But when he was featuring three pitches as opposed to just the two, the fastball and the slider, I thought he looked better. I thought he was more capable. I thought he looked more comfortable when he was throwing more pitches, as he would as a starter, all to that end. I want to dig into first base a little bit when we come back. 312-332-3776. Dan, appreciate the phone call, my man. When we come back, I want to dig into first base a little bit. Like I said, we're continuing our offseason kind of recap and precap as the World Series heads to an end here over the next couple of days. And the White Sox offseason plans, really baseball's offseason plans, will hopefully come into a little bit more focus. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly. We're back in just a couple on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Pitch to Abreu is hit in the air to left. That is number 200 and his second grand slam of the year. Another hanging breaking ball to Abreu. Kept the left shoulder closed, waited, and launched. What a beautiful swing for Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is kind of the focus of White Sox Weekly this morning. I'm Connor McKnight. you got ESPN 1000, 312-332-3776. That's a phone number. Great to hear Lana and DJ, even if they are you know, recorded. But Jose Abreu had 30 home runs this year, hit his 200th career home run, he is one of three White Sox players with multiple seasons, five or more, 30 home runs and at least 100 RBI uh, in his career. He's done that five times. 
Paul Canerco has done it five times. That Frank Thomas fella, you might have seen him on World Series pre- and post-game coverage. He did it eight times. Frank was a really good ball player. Um, but Jose Abreu is, is kind of the focus here because, as, as I mentioned when we started the show, I, I want to go position by position a little bit through the offseason, kind of recap where the White Sox were in 2021 and where they might be going going forward. But there's a lot of big decisions uh, that the White Sox are going to have to make about options and tenders in the next couple of weeks after the World Series are over. So I wanted to start with a few positions that have some fewer decisions to make but are you know, obviously really important ones. Jose Abreu's 2021, at least to me, was a bit of an up-and-down year. And I think if you talked to him, uh, and, and, and we did, he'd probably say the same. Now, there were stretches in there where he looked like Jose Abreu. He looked like that guy, the 2020 AL MVP. It was a terrific year for Jose in the pandemic-shortened season. He played all 60 games. He had 60 runs driven in. He finished with 117 RBI this year, 30 home runs, was a 261 hitter. A 351 on base percentage, slugged 481. And that's where you start to look at a Braves th- age 34 season, which is what 2021 was, and go, okay, a 481 slugging percentage is the third lowest career mark he's had in a single season. In 2018, he slugged 473. In 2016, he slugged 468. Everything else has been over 500 and some by uh, quite a bit. Still, getting to that power in-game probably could have happened a little bit more often than it did in 2021. Are there reasons for it? Yeah, I think there were. He had a collision with Hunter Dozier, who was also a very large human being right out in front of home plate. He was hit by pitch 22 times in the regular season. And then, you know, a couple more in the postseason. All of them, well, not all of them, but most of them right in that left triceps area. And if you're looking for extension, if you're trying to get to power or just, you know, be healthy to be your best guy at the plate, this was not a season where Jose Abreu got to be healthy all that often. And, oh, by the way, there was another injury that popped up as well, and it was on a game-winning play. I mean, this just kind of, this is Jose Abreu as a White Sox, Right. I mean, this play right here, a game-winning slide against the Royals, and a part in the season where you just really wanted to put the Royals away already and start getting into the, yeah, the White Sox are going to win the AL Central. Abreu is already banged up, coming home on a hustle play. Infield back. Mercedes takes off for second. The pitch gets away. Here comes Abreu. He will score. White Sox win. They win it. The Royals will challenge the call at the plate. It was close. Headsets are still on. Both teams at their respective dugouts. Many White Sox players are standing outside the dugout. And the call stands. White Sox win. The Royals over in their dugout can't believe it. The final score. The White Sox four. The Royals three. We got to take a breath. We did. We took a breath, came back. Everything was fine. We uh, we fanned down DJ just a little bit. He was all kinds of excited. I mean, we all were. It was a wild game, a 4-3 win. That was back on May 16 against the Royals. Uh, Abreu kind of ripped up his ankle a little bit, turned it, twisted it, and he spent the next five days not playing. He came back on the 21st against the New York Yankees. Then, over the next 12, 
through the end of May, hit 317, 396, 585. He didn't let the ankle get to him, at least production-wise, but you could tell he was a little bit hobbled and not running all that well. And he's, he's a much better runner um, than most first basemen, I think. Now, the future of the position for the White Sox is still centered on Jose Abreu. He's in the last year of his contract, however. It's a deal that, according to Cots, will pay him $18 million in 2022. I, I would imagine that's not the end of Jose Abreu and the White Sox, of course. You, you know, I mean, White Sox fans know the relationship that Jose has with just about everybody in that organization. He's talked about it. He was very clear that he was willing to re-sign himself before this last extension so that he could be here when the White Sox did and started to do what they've done over the last two years. His importance to everybody on this team is well stated, and you don't need me to kind of run through the reasons why. Everybody else has already done that for you. A couple of dudes that we're going to talk about here in the next segment, Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn, are are also like sons to him. Abreu talked about it, actually, and I asked Gavin about it after he did. Uh, Jose essentially is operating with four children on this team, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, of course, uh, and Aloy's a tough one to keep in check, I guess. I mean, that's, that's, he seems ex- an exasperated dad. He's like the, young, uh, the third child. He really is. Just gets to do whatever he wants. Everything is fine. You just enjoy No curfew. Nothing. nothing. Kind of runs into things all the time. Breaks stuff. The older child, who I, I assume is Andrew Vaughn, I guess, or at least that's by the actions. I know he's newer to the ball club, obviously. And then Vaughn and Sheets. You know, those are, those are kind of the four guys that he's taken under his wing. Uh, Abreu pointed out those four as guys that have been particularly, I mean, not that everybody isn't, I mean, he's Jose Abreu, but as guys that are particularly important to him. And I find that interesting because, you know, a lot of those guys, what the three of them anyway, may see some first base, two for sure. And I'm kind of, you know, projecting on Aloy just a little bit, but I think you could see it some. I mean, down the line, the kid's 25. It's not like it's going to be tomorrow. But I think it's, you know, when you look at Jose Abreu, Obviously, that's your guy playing the bulk of, if not 150 games next season, maybe 135, 148 of them at first. It's often difficult to keep him from playing first base. Maybe there's a little bit more DH for him as he goes into his age 35 season. And what's really wild, at least for me, is that over the last three, four, five seasons, you've seen Abreu get better and better and better defensively. And I think first base is a spot where we just kind of really easily go, ah, it's first, he'll be fine. But if you've seen Moneyball, you know the quote, it's incredibly hard. <laughs> it's it's not easy. Now, it is easy to find a guy that can learn it, you know, athletically speaking. You're not asking that guy to be the same as Tim Anderson at short or Luis Robert at center, right? In center, rather. Um, but you're going to see a lot of guys. The White Sox have Vaughn, Sheets, Abreu, Grandal, whoever else might be that next catcher on the roster, whether it's Zach Collins or somebody else that you're bringing in, may see some first base. So there are a lot of guys that could use some time there, that could see that as a position so as to get them at bats. We'll get into what that might mean for the 2022 White Sox after a quick break. A reminder that you can upgrade your game day experience in 2022. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages starting at 20 games. They include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit White Sox. 
Sox.com. More to come, plus Chris Getz, White Sox Assistant General Manager, coming up at 9 at 40. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Here's the pitch. Sheets with a blaster right. It's gone. White Sox win it. Oh, what a shot by Gavin Sheets. It was never in question. Gavin Sheets on a 3-1 fastball. He let it go. That's why Tony La Russa let his kids play tonight. He had faith. Yeah, Gavin powdered a couple in his rookie season. 2021 saw Gavin Sheets get 160 at-bats across 54 games, two stints in the bigs. He came up, went back down, and then came back up again and forced his way onto a playoff roster and got in at some playoff games. Actually hit a home run uh, in the playoffs this year. Congratulations to him on a fine rookie year, a 250 average, a 324 on base, and a 506 slugging. Like a lot of rookies, We're talking about first base today here on White Sox Weekly, kind of taking one position at a time up until the offseason. Shortly here, just a couple of minutes, we're going to have Chris Getz call in. So I want to wrap up these uh, these two players real quick. Uh, You know, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets are going to play a lot of outfield, I think, in 2022, or at least figure two right now. Off-season additions could happen, of course. Um, But there could be some minor league time for each one as well. Sheets' plate discipline is good, But he will fish for off-speed stuff, or at least he did in his rookie year. 25 years old, added right field to the profile, and I think as a lefty stick, shows a lot of promise and a little bit of versatility in the White Sox lineup. You know, Andrew Vaughn's Andrew Vaughn. And, you know, as as a third overall pick in the draft just uh, two years ago, I I think the White Sox faith in him is very, very high. You're seeing a lot of, of wondering, just kind of puzzling about whether or not Andrew Vaughn could be worthwhile in a trade for the White Sox in the offseason, trying to diversify just a little bit the positionality of some of the Sox bats. And I think that's it's an interesting thing to think about. It's probably an area where the White Sox could let go of some talent to get some in other places. But I know that the organizational faith in Andrew Vaughn is very, very high. Uh, if you're already planning a special occasion at the ballpark, we've got you covered. When you lock in your group outing for 2022, you get priority to select the biggest matchups and choose the best space for your group. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. So with those two, with those two players, I think that's the bulk of first base. But remember, Yasmani Grandal uh, could do with a little bit of time off. And by time off, I mean, you know, playing first base or DHing some as well. And, and thankfully for the White Sox, and I think for the rest of the National League too, they'll have the DH next year. I, I think this is probably going to be the last with the DH in just the one league. So at least there's some space for the White Sox to get some of those at bats to some young players. But it might be a fight for a guy like Sheets or Vaughn to see some of those ABs. All things considered. Hey, you can up game, upgrade rather your game experience in 2022 to a private diamond suite, the perfect space for hosting family and friends 
or entertaining clients for a game. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Going to hit the quick break here because when we come back, Chris Getz is ready to roll. He's assistant general manager to the White Sox, and you don't want to keep him waiting. We're going to talk fall league and some of the prospects that are playing now in Arizona and may matter some for the White Sox in 2022. I'm Connor McKnight. More White Sox Weekly on the way. This is ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox Assistant General Manager and Director of Player Development, Chris Getz, is our guest this morning on the show. Wanted to talk a little Arizona Fall League. Chris, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Hope the offseason's going well for you, man. Well, thanks for having me, Connor. It's going uh, going smoothly so far. Obviously a little disappointed. Uh, we're not still in the playoffs, but uh, plenty to... Uh, plenty to be proud of and, and plenty to focus on right now. Yeah, a lot of work to do at this point in the season. Um, you know, I, I love the Arizona Fall League. I, I talk to Sox fans about it a lot on this show during the offseason just because I think it's such a it's such a great trip for baseball fans just going down there and kind of feeling like it's it's your park and your game that night. But for Sox fans who don't know the AFL, what's the purpose of it from your standpoint and how is that different this year than in years past, given so many minor leaguers missed all of 2020 due to COVID? Well, it's an opportunity for, for players to, you know, uh, spend time with, with uh, top prospects from other organizations, continue to play throughout the year. You know, we are, in a way, making up for some lost time without having a normal 2020 season. Uh you'll get a pool of players that are participating in the Arizona fall league that perhaps had a uh, truncated 2021 season. Uh, you, you know, Yoelki Cespedes would be an example of that where uh, we weren't able to get him out to an affiliate uh, till later into the summer. Um, so, you know, playing in the fall league uh, made a lot of sense organizationally to, to continue to develop them there. So it's, it, uh, there's a nice pace to it. There's an opportunity to spend time with, with, with other players and staff from other organizations, and it can build confidence. Not only, again, you know, you're playing uh, quality competition, um, but if you have success out there, it can carry into to the offseason and build momentum towards the following year. So I want to get into some of the individual players the Sox have sent down to the Glendale Desert Dogs, which, if, if you need more reasons to go to the AFL, like the names of the teams, like the Scottsdale Scorpions and the Glendale Desert Dogs, the hats are awesome, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the system, uh, the year the system had for the White Sox. How would you evaluate the year? I know it's kind of tough to take all the levels and all the minor leaguers that came back in. But how did you as an organization kind of look at the year that some of the minor leaguers had, the overall system had, and um, kind of grade it out? I know it was a tough year coming back from a lot of guys not playing. Sure. I mean, you know, you start with the contributions of, of the young players at the major league level. And whether it be Gavin Sheets or Jake Berger, uh, Andrew Vaughn to, to a certain extent, um, you know, players that, that were called upon, Sebi Zavala, Zach Collins, guys that perhaps even initially going into the 2021 season 
Uh, we didn't think or we didn't know how much they were going to be asked to, to contribute. Well, a fair amount of them were asked, and unfortunately it was because of injury, but that just speaks to the importance of, of building quality depth. But a lot of those players stepped up. They really did. They, they um, you know, filling in for, for some impactful major league players and, and helped us win ball games. So, you know, starting, starting and evaluating our, our, our major league depth, those players that were asked uh, asked to, to participate and help us win ball games was very happy um, with with what they were capable of doing, um, you know. And then you go a little bit deeper. You've got players that, you know, perhaps were a little under the radar that that, that jumped up this year. Um, you know, you got a Romy Gonzalez. Uh, you know, you, you've got you've got players that uh, Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez. Um, Luis Miesis, um, the, 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 the continued development of Drew Dahlquist and Matt Thompson. Um, you know, there, there were some real bright spots. We've got Caleb Freeman, uh, McKinley Moore, who are in the fall league. So, I, you know, players that, that perhaps, um, you know, we weren't talking about too much, but now that are, that are, are kind of bright and, you know, you know, right in the center of our focus and, and, you know that that that's a you're coming off of a 2020 that we weren't playing a lot of baseball, still learning about these players, and fast forward to 2021 when we're somewhat back to normal. Um, lots to lots to be proud of. Now that there also were were, were plenty of uh, areas in which we need to improve on, and that 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 comes with having a younger uh, farm system. And, and we do have players that that were in Arizona or Canapolis that were were fairly young um, and went through some struggles. But man. Uh, we're, we're going to be better for it. Those players are going to be better for it. Um, and, and then we were just able to, to wrap up an instructional league and feel like uh, we're, we're heading in the right direction. So all things considered, plenty of positives um, with also plenty of areas that, that we want to continue to improve on. Talking with White Sox assistant GM Chris Getz here on White Sox Weekly, focusing on the fall league and some of the prospects on the Glendale Desert Dogs. Maybe the most famous name on the team is Lars Newtbar. And I know he's not one of your guys, but it's nobody's fault. His name is Lars Newtbar. Everybody hears about it. The second most famous name is Yoelki Cespedes, uh, one of your prospects. Big international signing for the club. Given how little baseball he's been able to play because of COVID and visa issues, like you mentioned at the top here, he seems like a no-brainer to have gone to the AFL. Like This league is kind of made for guys in his shoes. Where is he at? What were you able to evaluate this year, and what are the checklists for Yoelki as he plays in the fall league uh, these next couple of months? Well, it was very clear when we were around Yoelki for the first time, and uh, or I should say for an extended amount of time in spring training, that uh, very professional. Um, you know, you know, it's it's you know he has his brother that that, that he's close with and has helped him, uh, you know, get get acclimated or have an understanding of what professional baseball is. Uh, about, but uh, the way he goes about his business, um, but and then you step into his actual skill set, uh, his instincts for his game, how he runs the bases defensively, how he commands the outfield, um, and then you know he's got he's got a lot of power. Uh, he does when 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 he squares up the baseball, you know it, it, it it's loud and it stands out in comparison to some other players. So uh, you know with, with him getting out there and getting some at bats. You know, thankfully we were able to get him to Winston Salem, gain some confidence there, put him up, put him up in Double A Birmingham, uh, and, and he had some success there as well. 
and now have him in the fall league and make up for, for perhaps some lost time and lack of at-bats, uh, you know, strike zone judgment is going to be something that he needs to continue to focus on. Uh, but, but his swing um, mechanically is sound, just needs to stay under control, not try to do too much. He's, he's just naturally a strong player that doesn't need to expand and, and try to go meet the baseball out in front. He needs to, to, to use the whole field and let that power just show up uh, because he's, he's that type of guy. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's doing well in the fall league right now, just like some of these other guys, and look forward to, to, to further developing him. Yoelke played across two levels last year, high A and double A, 27 games at double A. And, you know, this question's about Yoelke, but more about, you know, hitters in general that you'll send to the fall league both this year and in years, you know, years to come. Will you use performance in the AFL to help determine where they'll head once spring training is ended? You know, like 27 games in double A, but if he has a great fall league and a, and a check-the-box kind of spring training, or maybe the other way around, is that a guy that can go to AAA? Do those determinations work um, kind of in a, as a boilerplate for other hitters, not specifically Cespedes? Not really. I, I, I think it's more, uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity to get more at-bats, more innings under the, the, the belts of these players, um, more so than an evaluation ground that perhaps, um, okay, he, he – he showed this during the season. He's showing this progress now. Therefore, he's ready to move up a level. Um, you know, for, for Yoelke, you know, an example kind of, you know, his body of work, this is purely an at-bat, getting acclimated to the United States, understanding professional baseball, playing against good competition. Um, that, that outweighs anything else at this point. Um, so regardless of how he does in the Arizona Fall League, certainly he's hoping to, to have great success, and we would like that as well. This is a matter of, of just getting more reps. Um, and, and, you know, based on the last two years with what our world has given us, it's really important thing to just to, to get out there and play some baseball. So I want to ask you about Jose Rodriguez, who's also on the club. But first, Chris, do, do scouts still use the term helium to describe prospects, or am I, am I out of date? Do I have to update that? Does that show that I'm just so old? You'll, you'll hear that from time to time, and I, I think, you know, the, 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 the adjective, um, you know, it, it, it describes a lot of players, and I think there's, there's relevance to, to using that nowadays, so don't, don't, don't feel like you can't. What's, what's the new term, like keep me hip? What, what are we talking about prospects as having if it's not helium anymore, a chance to move up a couple of levels? Gosh, I, I, I don't know if there's a better phrase. So I am not even going to throw it in the bucket of being too traditional here. Let's go with helium, Connor. Helium it is. Helium it is. Let's keep, it, let's keep each other young, I suppose. So, Jose Rodriguez, he's, he seems to have helium. You talk to guys outside the org, you talk to other scouts, and maybe the one, I'm talking about position prospect, that, uh, that, that everybody says, hey, this, this guy could jump, this guy could go, is Jose Rodriguez. He's 22 um a ball high a little bit of double a he hit at all of his levels tell me about jose rodriguez well you know we recognize uh you know jose rodriguez as a talent a couple years ago um you know he had some success in the dominican comes over to our instructional league and it just stood out the the, the passion for the game the ability to play shortstop the strength that he has and and 
you know, you fast forward to an Arizona league, um, and, and thankfully we were able to get him to, to Kannapolis to begin the year. He's never stopped hitting. Um, he, 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 I, you know, from, from game one this year to, to his last game, he just constantly was getting hits. Um, and, you know, he, he's another one that his instincts of the, uh, you know, all at both sides of the ball defensively, uh, in the box, base running, um, you know, the, the, and then you, you break down his swing where he slots his swing. It's a very uh, simple, strong uh, pass to the ball. And, you know, now that he's in the Arizona Fall League, he's getting an even greater following. But sure, talking to other clubs, they're constantly asking about, you know, Jose Rodriguez. They're interested. He's he's, he's enjoyable player to watch, um, you know, and, and we're talking about a premium position. So certainly a, a player that we're excited about within the organization and fans should should be excited about as well. And, and shortstop, I, I would infer from what you just said, shortstop seems to be a spot he can handle. I mean, a lot of these kids, as they, as they come up playing that position, you know, not everybody's going to be the big league shortstop for the White Sox. It is one of those guys. Uh, shortstop seems to be a position he'll handle. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a 20-year-old uh, that has the tools to play the position. Uh, early on, you know, tracking his progress at Kannapolis, there were there were some throwing errors uh, along the way, but he has arm strength, and it's a matter of thinking up his lower half uh, with his arm. And we were able to, or he was able to, really improve his throwing accuracy as the time as time went on. So at this point, there there are no uh, no concerns or, or any sort of rush to move him off that position. You know, I, I developmentally infielders are best to develop at the shortstop position as long as you can. Uh, I am a believer in that. However, you're, you're looking at a player that has the tools to stick at shortstop, and then you put the offensive pro- profile together with his defensive skills, and you can really dream and get excited about him. So one of the things that uh, I, I got a little chatter on from Sox fans, and it, was, it were a bunch of honest questions about you know the fall league and who went and who didn't. Um, you know, obviously got some intriguing hitters on this list. Why, why is the determination made, as Sox fans are trying to understand it and figure there's no better guy to ask than you, why Colson Montgomery uh, is not at the Fall League versus making that decision to send him? Like, what went into that decision? You don't often see those first-round guys go, but he's 19. He didn't play a whole lot. Um, I, I think Sox fans are kind of looking to just kind of understand a, a little bit that decision-making process. Well, I think it's more so, uh, okay, when, when did he start playing this year? How much baseball has... Uh, has he played in his career from a workload standpoint? Is it appropriate for him to to tack on games that that'll take you to Thanksgiving um, after uh, a player that that you know had been followed uh, by our scouts since you know March April? Um, and you're talking about a 19 year old kid, uh, a guy that that's a two sport player that that um, you know has never played baseball on a regular basis, but the, the the real driving reason is uh, is the value we put into our instructional league, in which we, you know, we were able to have this this past fall, and we wrapped up last week. Um, you know, the, the, when you these newly drafted players, these young players, getting acclimated to the Chicago White Sox, it's an opportunity to for them to learn what our identity is all about, to get in front of our instructors, for us to get to know know the players. Spring training, there are a lot of people around. There are a lot of players around, a lot of coaches. Um, this instructional league is, it, you know, it's, it's created to, for more of a, an intimate setting um, to, to really review what happened this past season, build a solid foundation for the offseason, 
and then of course prepare for for the following year. So so I, to to really answer your question, for for someone like a Colson Montgomery, and there are many others, we feel like it's best to continue to grow that foundation in an instructional league rather than put them in the Arizona Fall League where those players have got a little bit more playing under their belt. Makes a lot of sense. I don't want to go too far without mentioning some of the pitchers, although obviously you know we've we've hit on a bunch. Caleb Freeman is one of the guys that kind of jumped out to me. 23-year-old right-hander, cut down on walks after getting promoted to double-A this year, which is always something that kind of, you know, I'm not a talent evaluator, but that stands out to me from a, from my perspective. What should I know about Caleb Freeman? Uh, well, for one, he's a three-pitch. Uh, we've got three-plus pitches presently. Um, and walks have, have been, you know, something he's had in his history going back to college. Um, so, so really, when, when we got him into the system and, and the way college programs can sometimes use players, it's not, uh, you know, it's perhaps not the best path for their development. It's a competitive environment for those guys to win games on a nightly basis, but to truly develop the arms that they have, sometimes professional baseball is a better setting. There's a better rhythm to it. There's more, there's more room for, for a player like a Caleb Freeman to, 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 to be given uh, the leash for four outs to five outs to six outs for them to really gain gain confidence through more opportunity. Um, and and I, I think that that's where someone like Caleb, that's why he has thrived with, with the Chicago White Sox. And you're starting to see the progress with the limiting of walks and able to show off the stuff that he has. Um, and, and before you know, you're talking about a reliever with the arsenal that he has. That's pitched to double A, and who knows what 2022 uh, you know has in hold for him. Yeah, Chris. Last but not least, coaches can have helium too. Danny Farquhar uh, is in the Arizona Fall League as a pitching coach on the Glendale Desert Dogs. I, I know you know him a little bit. Sox fans know him as well. What kind of dude is Farquhar? Um, wh- how is he helping? Danny's fantastic. I mean, he he's got great interpersonal skills. The the passion that he has. He wants to dive deep with his players. I mean, the, the best coaches, and all. For, perhaps this can be a little bit unhealthy at times, but he's got his arms, or, or another a hitting coach has his hitters, and you know you leave that game and you're just constantly thinking about ways to to improve uh, that pitcher or hitter. And Danny Danny has that that obsession and, and passion for this, but he he he's very even keel. Um, you know, the, the players certainly pick up on his hunger. He's he's very smart. Um, he's got major league experience as a player. You know, he, he's played in multiple organizations, but uh, we felt like he was a, you know, a quality candidate to, to go to the Arizona Fall League. Uh, much like a player, you've got, you've got a coach that being exposed to other organizations and other players that, that, that can benefit uh, them for, for their career and, and then certainly help us within the White Sox based on greater exposure for them. So, uh, Danny's a star in organization and look forward to continuing to develop him. But as of right now, he, he's with those group of guys at the Fall League. And, and I look forward to, to seeing how they finish up there and, and then tackle the offseason in 2022. Chris, appreciate the time as always. Great perspective on some of these guys in the AFL. And uh, we'll look forward to talking with you sometime around spring training to see how things ended up here in the Fall League and how spring training shaping up, too. Very good. Appreciate you having me, Connor. That's Assistant General Manager Chris Getz. Sox fans, start planning your 2022 outings to the ballpark. We have party areas of all sizes. They can be perfect for you and your group. 
Learn more about our spaces, including Diamond Suites or a patio party. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. That's going to do it for us this Saturday morning. We'll be back next week from 9 until 10. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley have the hockey show there next. This is ESPN 1000.